Well, good morning. I have a special um, kind of empathy for Steve. I, I had about three or four weeks ago, I had what he has now, and um, took an antibiotic and got a little bit better and see, thought I was over it, and then it came back again and did that a couple times, and, and uh, I thought I would never get well. But, as you can see, God has a healing virtue also. So you can just pray for Steve, even in this upcoming week, as he prepares to preach for next Sunday, and just clarity of mind to, to think. Um, take your Bibles and open to 1 Peter. You might say, well, hey, didn't Steve just preach through 1 Peter a while back? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. God must have known you needed a reminder. <laughs> I know I certainly do. The subject this morning, uh, by the way, in your, in your bulletin, there is an outline there. Uh, there's no room on the front of that to make any notes, so if you want to write anything down, you've got to put it on the back. Or there are, I notice there's a few kids' notes outlines up here. You could come up and grab one of those if, you've got, if you're brave enough to do that. Uh, you know, kids, um, uh, maybe not everything that you hear this morning will be readily understandable, but a, a lot of it will be. And um, I'm, I'm praying that uh, God will, I've been praying that God will make it clear to me again, so I can make it clear to you. And um, uh, we're going to be talking about holiness. I always kind of whenever whenever I hear that word I kind of kind of shudder just a little bit because I I'm aware of the gap between what I am and what God wants me to be. And uh, we you might think about that as a holiness gap. Okay? A holiness gap. And some of you might be thinking right now, okay, let's wait. 45 minutes from now, he'll be done and we won't have to think about this again for a while. Because holiness is a hard thing to think about. When you hear questions like this, how many of you have ever failed so greatly that you wondered if you were even his child at all? Or, or maybe there's a sin that has been such a constant companion of yours. And over the years, not weeks, not days, but over the years, you have tried to shed it. And it's kind of like the, the virus Steve has. You know, it kind of goes away, comes back, goes away, comes back, goes away. You know, sometimes sin seems like it's like that. Is that what we're... Is that what it should be? Is that what God's plan is for us? Just uh, have it go and come back again, go and come back again. And The focus this morning is, what does it mean to be holy? Is our thinking about holiness right in the first place? And then if it is, how, how do we obtain that? How do we put our arms around that? What, what if I asked you? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, so don't worry. But I know if I did, if I said to you, how many of you would, by the end of 2009, want to be more holy than you are now? 
Everybody. Everybody would say, yes, that's me. I want to be more holy by the end of this year than I am now. You know, a right understanding of what holiness is and how we put our arms around that is a great need. It's also an area of great misunderstanding. But God's Word serves a function for us. It's a clarifying, it's a teaching tool in our lives and it's God's understanding of this subject and this question that we'll be looking at in these verses here this morning in 1 Peter. Now, I, I just love, I love this whole book, but verses 3, 4, 5, 6, just, just love this brief description of what God has done to save us. In, in verse 3, Peter says, writing to these first century Christians scattered throughout Asia, he, he reminds them that they have been saved by the mercy of God. And that's how they've been born again. God was just merciful to them. And, and what about you now? Can you say that? That's me too. I, I've been born again because He was merciful to sinners. That's, that's the deal. Yeah. Uh, then He says to them, and, and because of that, you have an inheritance. And it's an inheritance you can't see right now, but it's reserved in heaven for you. And you're going to be protected all the way until you obtain that inheritance in its fullness. Until it's no longer faith, now it's all sight. Now I want you to look at verse 10. This is where our passage picks up. Verse 10 starts out this way, As to this salvation... Now, that's just a reference back to what verses 3, 4, and 5. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry. He's saying that the the prophets who wrote, guys like Isaiah, guys like Micah, all those prophets who wrote of, of the one who would come, the promised redemption, they... They, as they wrote, as the Spirit of God moved their hand to write, they, they kind of said to them, I wonder what this is going to look like when it actually happens. They longed to see what they were writing about. The grace that would come and save sinners through the promised one. They longed to see that. Then in verse 12, it goes on, it says, it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves as they wrote, but they were serving you, first century Christians, and now us. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. Now, who is it that preached the gospel to those first century Christians? Well, guys like Peter, the apostles. The apostles saw it. They, they saw it. Christ. They saw Him crucified. They saw Him risen. They knew that He was now at the right hand of God interceding and they preached that. They saw it. They preached it. They wrote about it. Carried along by the power of the Spirit. And then at the end of verse 12, look at this. It says this. Things into which angels long 
to look. So the prophets wrote about it and they longed to see it. The apostles did see it. They wrote about it. And angels all the way along are saying to each other, how is he going to do this? How is he going to take sinners and make them holy? How is he going to pull that off? How is he going to do that? They long to see it. And so then, look at verse 13. So Peter now takes this description of the Gospel, this look back to what the prophets were thinking, what the apostles were thinking, what angels are thinking about this magnificent thing about how God is going to make sinners, people like us, holy. And notice what he says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now this morning, I want you to prepare your mind for action. Some of you, as I look around, don't look like your mind's ready for action. Okay? Now, I know I can be deceived by the look on your face, okay? okay? So, encourage me, will you? Okay? Just prepare your minds for action, right? Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he means about preparing your mind for action. You have to think right about this. You have to prepare your mind to think right about this. Now we could assume if we have to do that, prepare our mind to think right, that means if we don't do that, we're just probably going to think wrong about this. Prepare your minds to think right. Now, I want to read 13 through 16. You just follow along in whatever translation you have, and I want you to follow the flow of these four verses. I'm reading from the New American Standard, so if you've got something else, it'll, it'll be close, but here's what, here's what it says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. In other words, this is a serious thing. This, is, this isn't something we say, Oh, holiness! Holiness! Oh, yeah, holiness! No, it's a sober, serious thing. Thinking right about this is one of the most important things you can possibly do. Fix your hope completely. I want you to follow along in your text. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy. For I am holy. Now, as we start to think about, and by the way, my first point's the longest point in the sermon, so don't get nervous. Every point will not be equally long, but this first point is going to be the longest. It's got the most to explain. The, there, there is a, if, if you look at where does verse 13 start and where does verse 16 end? Verse 13 starts, fix your mind completely on grace. Verse 16 ends, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, just in, that, in, just in that observation, there's something we should not miss. You see, the starting point to answer this question, how does God make sinners holy, starts with grace, His grace, and leads to their holiness. 
Here, not the other way around. It doesn't start with their holiness that, them, that somehow then qualifies them to be recipients of grace. I want you to get that. It starts with grace that leads to His holiness. It does not flip that around so that you think, oh, I've got to be good if I want to get good from Him. Do you ever think like that? Do you ever think like that? I do. I do. Maybe you do too. Is this something like this ever happened to you? Something, you, you, you're going through your day, you thought you knew what was going to happen that day, and something really painful happens. Something really difficult happens. And you say to yourself, why is this happening? And then you think, oh, I didn't have my devotions this morning. I didn't have my devotions. That's why this thing is happening. That's so painful. Bop. You just flipped them around. You just said, I've got to be holy if I want good things from God. Now, you might have your own way of thinking like that, but I've done that. That's not right thinking. That is absolutely wrong thinking always. He says, you start with grace and you end with holiness. His grace leads to His holiness. His grace leads to His holiness. Those of you who want to do this, say it with me. His grace leads to His holiness. Don't ever flip those. Okay? Don't ever flip those. Now notice what he says in verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now what is that talking about? You've got to remember, Peter is writing after the cross, after the resurrection. So when he talks about the grace that's to be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's looking ahead. To what? To when he comes again. Yeah. So when he comes again, uh, set your mind completely. Now that's a pretty expansive word, isn't it? That, that's an adjective that doesn't allow for anything else. Set your mind completely on what's going to be coming there. Now this week, I had a, a friend of mine who was in his 20s. Yeah, he and I were talking about some things going on in his life and we talked through this passage and we, start, we, we, we began to imagine what it would be like when, when He comes again. And He gets us and He takes us to heaven, to the throne room of God, and here we are with untold millions, uncountable millions, this multitude that's not numberable, the writer of Revelation says, that's not numberable, that's standing in the throne room of heaven, how big a room must that be, that's standing in the throne room of heaven, looking up at God, and, and they hear the voice of one saying, Father, these are those that you have given me. I died. I shed my blood so that they could be saved. Then I rose again, and I've been... For years, I've been at your right hand praying for them, interceding for them. 
and and as you that it's it's kind of like it's kind of like this it's kind of like he's standing right next to you and you look over to see who it is and you say that's Jesus that's Jesus talking and he says father now i give these that you have given to me back to you so that you will receive all the glory to god be the glory to God be the glory for the things He hath done. And it's because of what He has done that we are there. So, so, so when you want to think about holiness, He says, I want, here's what I want you to do. I want, to fix, want you to fix your hope completely on the grace that's going, to be, that's going to come to you when He comes again. Okay? So you've got to keep your mind set there. Verse 14, as obedient children, now I want to ask you a question. There's a comma after that in my Bible. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which are in your ignorance. As obedient children, what has he just told us to do? In verse 13, what did he just tell us to do? Now you have to think with me this morning, I'm sorry, you have to think. Okay, come on. Keep in verse 13, what does he tell us? What did he just say to do? Fix your mind completely on the grace to be brought to you. As obedient children who are doing that, okay, are fixing their minds on the grace to be brought to them, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours before I saved you, when you were ignorant of me. But, verse 15, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy for I am holy. Is that a command? Does that sound like a command to you? Huh? Tracking with me? Does that sound like a command to you? does to me. Sounds like a command to me. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Like the one who called you, be holy in all your behavior. It is. But it's more than that. That's not all it is. And Peter helps us understand what it is by including a quote in verse 16. Now, how does, how does your Bible, how do the editors of your Bible show you that there is an Old Testament quote? How, does, how, does it, how do you know that? Well, in my Bible, there's, there, it's, in, it's in all caps, and there's a margin note that tells you where it was, where it showed up. Okay? But Peter, as the Spirit of God moves him along, includes this quote so that we'll, it'll help us to understand something about what this is what he's talking about here. Now, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. Leviticus 11:45. Now, all of chapter 11 is a list of what Israel can eat that's clean and what they cannot eat that's unclean. So the whole chapter is lists of these are clean animals, you can eat these. These are unclean animals, you can't eat these. 
Now, it's when he gets to verses 44, 45, and 46 that he tells them something about this that he's calling them to do. Look at verse 45. He says, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I want you to think about that. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, puts this thought into 1 Peter about holiness. Notice what, notice what God says in verse 45. I want you to not eat this, I want you to eat this, because I am the Lord. I rescued you, my people, out of Egypt. I brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. Thus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, it's clearly a command, but it's more than that. You shall be. I rescued you. Now you're on your own. Just do it. No. You shall be holy. I rescued you. It's kind of like the Galatian heresy here. The wrong thinking would be like the Galatian heresy. Are you going to, having been saved by the power of the Spirit, are you now going to be sanctified in the power of the flesh? No. God forbid. You shall be holy because that's who I am. I'm the one who saved you. I'm going to give you the power that you need. Now I want you to, learn, to turn over to Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20. Now this is important. Now he's been talking now here he's talking about where should they turn when they need help? Where should Israel turn when they need help? Look at verse 6. As for the person who turns to mediums, fortune tellers, and spirits, spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against them, against that person and will cut him off from among his people. You shall consecrate yourself Therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall be holy. You shall be set apart to me. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Verse 8. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. Now I want you to, re- I want you to follow this. This is key. What does he say next? I am the Lord who... What? sanctifies you. I want you to consecrate yourself. I want you to keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. If you're going to think about holiness, Peter's saying, factor that into your thinking. God is the one who saved you. He's the one who's going to sanctify you to set you apart to Himself. Now go back to 1 Peter. See, the question is, is this just a command or is it a direct declaration of what God will do? When He says, you be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it is written. What's written? You've got to think about this. What's written? Now, you can read the words. You shall be holy for I am holy. Who said those words? God did. 
God said them. We just looked at them. You shall be holy because I am holy. See, this is a gospel command, dear, dear ones. What makes it a gospel command? It's, it's a gospel command because it's not something that, that you are just to do in your own strength. You are to do this dependent upon the one who, has, who says, I am going to sanctify you. You shall be holy. Why? Because it's written that uh, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's who I am. And because I said, I will do it. Here's what Peter wants us to do. Factor into your thinking about holiness the most important aspect of this. God is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He is the one who sanctifies you. He is the one who makes us holy. Can you say amen? Because He said so. You shall be holy for I am holy because I declare it. Now, what, what happened back at the beginning of the Bible? When God says, let there be something, what happens? It's there. Let there be light. Light. When God declares He's going to do it, He's going to do it. Now, what does He expect from us? Well, we're going to see. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. Now, look at verse our, our second point here. How does God going to make sinners holy? First, through a grace mindset that's going to change everything. You think about holiness through the lens of grace. You getting from God what you don't deserve. You think about holiness through a fear of God's judgment and a focus on His Christ. Now let's look at verse 17. If you address His Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during, the time, during your stay on the earth. If you pray to the Father, do you? Abba, Father, do you pray to the Father? God, help me. If you pray to the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on the earth. Now, I want you to see something. This is so incredulous. You, if, if, you, if you read that, conduct yourselves in fear during your time and stay on the earth, you expect something like this to follow. Because if you don't, conduct yourself in fear in all your behavior on the earth, then you're going to hell and I'm going to smash you and you deserve it. That's what you expect. You expect this judgmental warning. I mean, it even if you address the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, and he does, conduct yourself in fear. What kind of fear? It's kind of like a two-sided coin. Fear. The fear of the Lord is a two-sided coin. It's, it's this overwhelming desire to trust Him and this overwhelming dread to offend Him. Both at the same time. Not just the dread, but the desire to trust Him. Based on what? Look at verse 18. Knowing this, fear 
conduct yourself in fear during your time of stay on the earth, knowing this, knowing that you were not redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a, a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Conduct yourself in fear on the earth in the way that you live, knowing this, not that you're going to be smashed, but that you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, more precious than anything else. What's he doing? He's painting this picture of love, the love of God that sends his son to shed his blood. Conduct yourself in fear. Don't ever think about holiness and being holy in, in your own strength. You know what that is? That's the epitome of self-centered idolatry. You say, I'm going to do this. I've never done it before, but in 2009, I'm going to be holy. Uh, no. No, God doesn't even want you to do it that way. He wants you to say this. In 2009, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be holy because He shed His precious blood for me. Look at verse 19. The 20. For He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Christ was in the plan of God the Father before He created anything. But has appeared in these last times. Now I want you to read these words. Children, you can read these words. Jesus appeared, was born, and died in these last times for the sake of who? You! For the sake of you! He came to die, to shed His blood for the sake of you, to save you, to make you holy. Through, because of it, on the basis of His precious blood, on the, present, on the basis of His presence here for you. And then uh, let me read verse 21 and 22. And who through Him are believers. <laughs> who through Him are believers. Are you a believer? How'd that happen? It's through Christ, wasn't it? Through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Now, verse 22 and 23 at first cause you problems. Especially 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from a pure heart. That sure sounds to me since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your soul. Sounds to me like you saved yourself. Doesn't it? You purified yourself. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Now, at the end of verse 22, is there a comma or a period? There's a comma. So the thought's not done. Let's get the rest of the thought. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Now there it is. How were we born again? Through the, 
through seed, Christ, that's not perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. Hmm. So, we are made holy through a fear of God's judgment and a focus on His Christ, His Son. You know what? The fear of judgment is this that Peter is putting his finger on, that we would ever try to be holy in our own strength. That's what you need to fear. That will bring judgment. We, we desire to be holy by a life of dependent faith in His Son who has done all for us and who has said, I am the one who sanctifies you. Through His precious blood, through His presence here for us by His Spirit, and through the purifying work of the enduring Word of God. Last point, 24 and 25. Now, if there are still some here who say, well, I don't care what you say. I'm going to work hard at obeying myself. I can do it. I know I can do it. And I'm going to show you in 2009. Okay? For those of you who are still thinking like that, I don't really think there's anybody here thinking like that. But just in case, listen to verse 24. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. What happens to that? The grass withers. The flower falls off. But the Word of the Lord, what does that do? It endures forever. You see, the best that the flesh can do will wither and die. The best that the flesh can do will wither and die. Any pursuit of holiness in the energy of the flesh without, uh, uh, without a dependence upon God and His Son and His Word is bound to failure. And it's good that it fails. I've done that. I've been there. I've tried that. And not a long time ago either. 2008 had more than enough of my own efforts to live a holy life and resulted in nothing but failure. And that was good. That's good. Because if God is going to be glorified and I'm going to be holy, I'm going to need to be looking to Him and to depend upon Him to do what He says He will do. And this is the word, Peter says, that we preached to you. So he preached. Peter says, we preached, a, we preached a message of holiness through grace, through dependence upon God who promised that He would sanctify us. Now, let me wrap this up. All of this has been prefaced by these words. Prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Think this way about holy living. And now it's come down to us. How does God make sinners like us holy? 
even in our failure, even in our sin, by faith in His Word, we would say, He has made me holy. He is making me holy. He will make me holy. Can you say amen? He has given me life. He is giving me life. He will give me life. He has given me endurance. He is giving me endurance. He will give me endurance. Now, so that we don't miss it, because there might be some here who still will leave here today and forget this passage of Scripture and this eloquent pastor, or not so eloquent pastor, but so you won't miss it, Peter, in, verse, in chapter 2, look at 4 and 5. Kids, you can understand this. You'll be able to understand this. Coming to Him, to God, as to, a living, to, to Christ as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Now, kids might say, I thought you said I was going to understand that. Alright, here's what it is. Let me, here's a stone. It's not a living stone. It's an inanimate object. Okay? But it's a pretty big stone. I picked this up on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, by the way, years ago. Okay? This is a stone. has no significance other, other than it's a picture of the stone. Coming to the stone. No, the, the, if you had the kids' notes, you'd be better off. They have a picture on their notes of who, kids? Jesus. And there's somebody else. There's a child there in that picture. And what is that child doing? Looking up at Jesus. Talking to Jesus. Coming to the living stone. Now, here is, and you as living stones. Where are these living stones? We come. We're a chip off the old block, right? <laughs> but here it is. Jesus is the living stone, living, breathing stone. And you come, coming to, come to the living stone. You also are being built up as a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, you think about holiness this way. Not this. Do the best you can. You are a living stone because God has made you that through Christ. But every day, as we want to live in a way that shows that we trust Him, we want to obey Him, we want to live holy before Him, to do that, we come to the living stone. And we say, help me. Help me. This has helped me so much. It might even be that you know of a difficult event coming up this week. Think about it. Maybe there's a meeting you have, an event that you have every week that's always hard and you're tempted to sin often. Here's what happens. You come to, to, to the living stone and you say, on Thursday, I've got this meeting with this guy, with this woman, with this person. With the, with, this happens almost every week and I sin almost every time. Savior, 
at 4 o'clock on Thursday when I have that meeting, I'm looking to you to sanctify me, to give me what I need. And Peter says, he is going to do that. He is going to give you that so that you can offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. Now, what if you just do this? What if you just go try your best on your own? And you even succeed. You say, hey, I didn't sin. Will that be acceptable to God? It will not. It will not. Surprising, it will not. Why not? Because you got it done in yourself. He says that's not the way it works. You want to make sacrifices that are acceptable to God? You want to say no to your, your sinful desires? Then you come to Him and you say, Help me. You come to the living stone to get what you need. And then when you go and you do what He requires, that's acceptable to Him. Hmm. One last thing. Look at chapter 5. Just so we don't miss it. Verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while. Alright, we're here. Those first century Christians were there. After you have suffered for a little while. The God of all grace. The God who has all the grace that every believer needs. All the undeserved favor and power of God for the sake of holiness in His children. The God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. I want to ask you a question. Who's making who holy? God is making us His people holy, isn't He? Dear ones, banish all thoughts of making yourself holy, of of conjuring up enough fortitude, enough commitment, enough consecration that that you think you can go do it now in your own strength. We need to see just the opposite. That apart from Him, We have nothing that will be acceptable to God. We do nothing that will be acceptable to God. We think nothing, say nothing that will be acceptable to God. We come as living stones to the living stone so that we become His priests, His ministers, offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to Him. All right. Now, what are you going to think when you leave here? You have two choices. You can say, well, not sure about that Yankee guy. I think my ideas and the way I've thought about holiness in the past that I just need to work harder is what I'm going to think. That holiness is me committing myself to keeping His commands. That's what holiness is. No, it isn't. If you will allow the Word of God that we have just seen to be king, Here's what you'll say. It'll be something like this. I know that for me to be holy, just as He is holy, 
is not just a command that I work hard to obey, but it's a statement of what He will do in me. I consecrate myself to come to Him, to depend on Him, to come to the living stone who is building me up into a spiritual house, into a minister of His to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, forgive us for thinking we can do this. Forgive us for thinking that in any area of our lives we can be holy apart from you. And help us to grasp the enormity of the importance of depending upon you, of crying out to you, of coming to you, the living stone, to give us all that we need for the sake of holiness and a life of faith lived out in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one last thing. I just happen to have in my pocket two, a, a big stone and a small stone. I often carry these two stones in my pocket as a reminder of how holiness is going to come, come about. Let me ask you to do that. That if, if you're struggling in any area of sin and it's been, and it hasn't, it's, it seemed to defy every attempt for you to live in the way you know He wants you to. Go out and find a big rock and a little rock and stick them in your purse, stick them in your pocket to remind yourself how holiness is going to take place. That you're going to come. Parents, teach your children, remind them of how holiness in their life, where they're struggling with sin, is going to take place. That they... Can you help me with that? See, that's what happens to the little stone just falls and bounces all over the place. Okay? That little stone comes to the living stone and gets everything they need from them. That's how God intends to make us holy. Can you say amen? Amen.